Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with sleep number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, Visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club Podcast. Today I'm here with Michael Brandt. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Brian, thanks for having me. Looking forward to a great conversation here today. Yeah, I've read your interview on another blog that I follow that's kind of this intersection of tech e-commerce, wealth or wellness and health, et cetera, and just found it really motivating and interesting. So I sent you a blind note and here we are, and I appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll get into what you're doing, but you're nice enough to also send me a sample of the work you're doing. And we talked about it a little bit before we went live and it's, it's really cool. So maybe let's get into kind of your background here. Michael is the CEO and co-founder of Health Via Modern Nutrition which we will refer to as HVMN during the conversation. He has quickly scaled the business to a multi-million dollars in revenue, including a $6 million contract with the U.S. Department of Defense. As CEO, Michael is focused on cultivating a world-class team and increasing education and access to metabolic health and performance. He also cruises through marathons at a cool six-minute mile pace, which I want to get into at some point in the conversation. But let's start with HVMN. What exactly are you guys up to over there? That's a that's a great intro and yeah happy to happy to open up on what we're doing here. My co-founder and I, we met in undergrad at Stanford. We were both computer science guys, and we got really curious about what the next frontier was. And we saw that all, a lot of our friends had gone and made you know, ads optimization startups, or working at Facebook, or here and there, or built different smartphone apps for this and that. We also saw that the that that was a mature platform, that that was the platform of the the last decade. In the forward decade, the upcoming decades, the human body is the next platform for innovation. As evidenced by, you see people wearing aura rings, whoops, 
levels, continuous glucose monitors, super sapiens, NutriSense, you have 23andMe, you have this robust ecosystem of hardware and sensors on and in the human body. People are getting more savvy than ever before about their their heart rate, their footsteps, their sleep score, their phenotype. And it follows from there that people are getting more mindful about what they're putting into their body. So you call this biohacking. I think that's what we would have called it like five, 10 years ago. But I think it's gone, it's hopped the mainstream. It's crossed the chasm into the mainstream where it's like, if you were one of the first people to own a computer in the seventies, you were a hacker. Now everyone has a phone in their pocket. There's a billion phones in a billion pockets. And we're seeing the same thing with the human body. We're Five, 10 years ago, you were a biohacker. Now you are a just a person that cares about health and wellness. That's the general macro trend that we are seeing. In particular, where we got really interested was we saw that around five years ago, keto and bulletproof coffee were, were absolutely ramping, just absolute hockey stick of interest around these. Like, hey, what happens when instead of having a frappuccino with 45 grams of sugar, milkshake for breakfast, what happens instead if you have black coffee and you put fat and MCT into your coffee, make a bulletproof coffee. What happens when you cut out carbs from your diet in general? What happens when you do intermittent fasting? And the byline that connects all of these is that whenever you're eating low carb, eating healthy fats, fasting, exercising, in all of those contexts, your body runs low on blood sugar and it starts making something called ketones. That's the keto diet or ketosis or a lot of different ways to get into ketosis. And my co-founder and I, we asked the dumb slash smart question there, which is like, if ketones are so cool, why can't you go to the store and buy a ketone? If we're doing all these, you know, my, we fasted for a, seven days at one point to see what that was like, to see where our body's ketone levels go. When I go on a 15 mile run on the weekend, regardless of what I, what I eat, if I drink our ketone product or not, after that run, I have elevated ketone levels. My body has run low on blood sugar and it started to make its own ketones. So we saw uh, people were jumping through all these hoops to get their ketone levels up. People like the way they feel when they have elevated ketones. They're very efficient. There's super fuel that our body makes. So what happens? Why, why can't you go to the store and buy it? You can go and buy collagen. You can buy CBD. You can buy caffeine. You can buy all these other nutritional primitives at the store. Why not ketones? And that pulling at that thread has led to the last several years of interesting R&D where in 2019, we had the world's first ketone drink. And we got a $6 million contract with the Department of Defense Special Operations Command. They were very interested in this liquid super fuel ketones for not people doing the keto diet. It's just high performing special operators. What happens when they drink ketones on top of their existing regimen? They had a hypothesis about what would happen. They were We partnered with them and, and made our product and have been conducting the research around it and shown some really interesting results for ketones in different states of stress. So when you're fatigued, when you're exhausted, when you're in low oxygen situation, hypoxia, that that's especially what context that the special operators are interested in. Those are especially contexts where this where ketone super fuel can help beyond you know any other type of energy source. So here we are in 2022, we've taken everything that we've learned in our last several years of work with the DOD Special Operations Command. We've you know, visited all these bases, seen some really amazing American heroes, gotten to know some great folks, the chair of the Joint Chiefs, Pete Pace, he reported to Bush and then Obama. He's a close friend and advisor. He's a board observer. We've gotten really good connectivity and some just the highest performers and just true American heroes and have taken all of our learnings. And here in 2022, in January, we launched, we turned what, what, what had been our research spec version one. We, and in January, we launched our V2, 
which is called Ketone IQ. And we had a wait list of 34,000 people. We launched that to the world and it's just been, it's been trucking like 40% quarter on quarter growth. And we're, we have some exciting retail launches coming up. We're launching, it's September right now. We're launching into Equinox Earth Bar on October 1. We have a bunch of other accounts lined up throughout Q4 and into Q1. And excited to take this biotech super fuel that we created and and make it into a multi-billion dollar category. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I was so interested to talk to you, I've been reading Walter Isaacson's you know, code breaker book, and he posits that the era of silicon is over. And now we're moving into, you know, the biohacking world. As you mentioned, you're you're right at the forefront of that. You know, I'm, I'm curious to get a little bit more into the science of it. How does it work exactly, the product itself? Do you have to be in a state of ketosis already for it to accelerate, or does it does it bring your body there? Maybe help me understand a little bit more of the science behind it. Sure. So when you drink ketone IQ, you can directly, objectively observe that your body gets into ketosis within 15 minutes. So if you did a blood finger prick, which you can buy, it's like 50 bucks on Amazon. And that's what some of our more biohacker folks in our community will do. I, I have I have one of those right here. You you can see that your blood biomarkers are directly shifting. You're you are getting into ketosis and it's it's dose dependent, right? If you have a little bit of ketone IQ, you get a little bit of a raise in ketones. If you have a lot, then you get more of a raise. So you don't have to be in ketosis already. Like if, if you are not, then and then you drink ketone IQ, you will get the you'll get a bump regardless of what your starting basis was. You know, a lot of our audience are you know, healthy, low carb, maybe all the way keto diet. We don't necessarily push. Uh, we don't consider ourselves a keto diet company. We do not push the keto diet. We, you know, I, I think sugar is bad. I think there's something lowish carb, like lower carb than the standard American diet, definitely directionally good. But you don't need to be like a pure keto diet person to get a benefit out of it. So you have this idea, you've tested it, you've turned it into this company. And I, I want to get a little bit more granular on the company itself. Is the strategy purely direct to consumer at this point? Yeah. Well, the main presence on distribution channels that we have right now is direct consumer and e-commerce in general. So Amazon and iHerb and the feed and other other e-commerce sites. We are quickly expanding into retail, which in a sense is B2B. It's like us selling into a another business who then sells it to customers. So B2B to C, you could call it. I like the D2C core because that's made everyone on the team really mindful of is that old Henry Ford quote that the, the customer pays the bills and management holds on to it in the in the in between, but it's the, it's the customer paying everyone's paycheck, and we see it directly. We see every review, good, bad, and ugly. We see every customer praise, every customer complaint. We're always just very where the rubber hits the road with our community, so that when we go into a national account with seven hundred doors, we already have a crystal ball into knowing what the customers walking those doors are gonna think. So D2C at our core, but the goal is being you know fully omni-channel, omnipresent, where wherever people have wherever people want us to be. Like, that's where we want to be. So you know obviously being at Stanford, incredible opportunity to meet all these people. I was doing some homework on you and the firm. You've got <laughs> Andreessen Horowitz running your lead round uh, or leading your seed round rather. And you have this, like you mentioned, this contract with the Department of Defense. Walk me through how you were able to connect with these heavy hitters and, and get them excited about what you refer to as, I like this term a lot, the magic molecule. 
we planted our flag really far away from what anyone else was doing. And to any entrepreneurs or people working at startups, I, I people understand what that feels like when you have a business that's just like an incremental fast follow to something that already exists versus something that's just way, way out there. And when you look at the top tier firms in, on the venture side, they almost entirely only care about the big bets. And they fully know that there's some risk. It's like, if you're doing something that's far afield from anything that exists, maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. And as a founder, that's something you have to grapple with. But if what your goal is, is to get funding from a top tier firm, you have to have something that, that stands apart that is not an incremental development. That's not a fast follow. It has to, it has to be a, a big, hairy, audacious goal where, Hey, if that, if that takes off, that is category defining. Like I don't, you look at the early days, like Uber, right? It's like, I, I don't know if maybe that'll work or maybe it doesn't. But if, if you figure out a way for people to frictionlessly order a car to their house, to their home and get from A to B, that seems massive. And I think even in the early bull, even the most bullish early projections of what ride sharing could be, were still way smaller than what it ended up becoming. So like you want to plant a flag into some like weird blue seas where there's going to be a lot to figure out on every aspect of the business, supply chain, technology, go to market, education. You're going to have to figure all that out. You're going to have to fundraise into that. You're going to have to recruit into that. There's a lot of weirdness around it, but the upside and the, and the emphasis here on the upside, because this is what the top tier investors are looking for is that, hey, if this works, we are market leader. We have interesting IP moat, brand moat into this like category that's super large and super interesting. I would say that this is different from saying, hey, I want to make a cash flow business. I want to make a few hundred K a year, have a SMB, do well for my family, ski all winter, have fun. Like that's a, it's, there's different kinds of entrepreneurs, absolutely no judgment. I think the grass, in a sense, can always be greener. But for venture scale, you got to go big. You got to swing, you got to swing big. And what was it like pitching Andreessen Horowitz? How did you get the meeting? How did you get the intro? Did they ask any unusual questions? I'd love to hear a little bit more about that process. That was an interesting confluence of factors where at the time they were, they were looking for businesses like ours. So we weren't just like, you know, knocking on a closed door. It was that their thesis at the time. So Chris Dixon, who led our seed round from Andreessen, his thesis was, so he was, he was on the, he led Coinbase, is on the board of Coinbase. He also was early investor in Soylent, which a lot of people may remember the, they're still around the like food kind of replacement drink thing. His thesis at the time was, let me look at what smart people are doing on the nights and weekends. And specifically, let me look at what is going on on these subreddits that are kind of inflecting up. Maybe not the biggest subreddit, but like the fastest growing subreddits. What is going on? What are people talking about? A, and then B, what companies are capitalizing on that movement? So obviously, big, you know, rewinding the clock, there's it's like five plus years ago, Bitcoin had a lot of, you know, a lot of people chatting about Bitcoin and crypto and those subreddits were doing really well. So it made sense to look at you know, Coinbase, look at who, okay, who is monetizing against this macro trend around that time. So Soylent had a really big, big subreddit that was, that was booming biohacking, nootropics in general. So my co-founder and I, prior to starting our, to launching our, our ketone line, we had a nootropics business. That's how we initially got into the space of of biohacking and CPG and, and making products in, in this area. We had a nootropics business. So when you look at the subreddit for nootropics, the subreddit for biohacking, these are all booming. And 
our story is that it was that, Hey, like it, the tailwinds are here and we are the best at capturing this. And so it, it fit together like a puzzle piece into what Chris Dixon at Andreessen Corwis's thesis was at the time. So something I always like to share, which is it's, it's hard to exactly replicate that, you know, you like the, the way I would replicate that for other, other founders, other fundraisers is zoom out a little bit on it. And, and the, I, I say the meta point is that like, you need to, well, first of all, you're generally pitching the individual, like the GP, not the firm. Like there's, there's someone who's going to actually underwrite your deal and go to bat for you or not. So it's not that you're pitching Sequoia or founders fund, like you're, you're, peach, you're pitching a guy or gal and you need to know what they're going for. And usually investors are not shy about it. They're, they're on podcasts, they're on Twitter, they're saying what they're looking for. And you got to figure out a way of like pattern matching to what they're, what they are looking for, like incepting that your idea matches to their thesis or not, like don't force it. Like, I think that's the other thing. If you're dead set on, you need to raise from X fund, like why, like what, like, is that just your ego talking or like, is there, is that actually the quickest route from A to B of you getting capital into your business? Like, why are you married to the idea of getting, like, there might be another GP at another fund who's like ready to go, like, go talk to that person, like be like water, right? Figure out where there's latent interest for your type of business model in a way, like if, it, if fundraising is like super duper hard, you're either doing it wrong or your business model needs work. Like it, it's, it shouldn't be super duper hard. It's not a walk in the park for everyone, but like there's a lot of capital in the world. There's a lot of folks that are looking to finance interesting bets, interesting business models, interesting technologies. Like if you're not able to line up with them, with some of the strategies just talking about here, you know, other people have written entire books and podcasts and blogs about this. It shouldn't be like, the hardest thing that you do as a founder. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Chris Dixon is is very public and a, a really interesting follow. He's got some really good content out there, not just in the crypto space, but like you were saying, he has a pretty broad spectrum of interests. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Take the next step by joining the Capital Club, an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals organized by Excelsior Capital. You'll gain access to exclusive alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, private events, and more. Visit excelsiorgp.com slash Capital Club Podcast for more information and to sign up today. Let's get back to the product itself. When I was doing my research on you, I came across this concept of a nutritional primitive. Could you help define what that is and maybe use some examples of you know what's in the marketplace today that might people be might be uh, familiar with? Yeah, that's our nerdy computer science background talking. Where this idea of primitives, it's it's very common in computer science and math, which is basically like what are the building blocks? Like in computer science, you have integers, and those are different from strings of characters, right? Those are different types of primitives. And from the primitives, you build everything else. So you build those are like your core Legos, and then you can build mansion or you can build a star wars x-wing like you can build different things out of the same primitive so when we think about other primitives it's like well protein is a primitive caffeine is a primitive cbd is a primitive like you can think of other macronutrients micronutrients psychoactives like like caffeine or other things like that like what are what are these building blocks where when you pick something up it's you could if you like broke it into its component pieces. If you picked up a cliff bar, you could break it into its primitives. If you picked up a Starbucks, you could break it into its primitives. Okay. There's caffeine, there's water, there's fat, there's sugar, what's inside of it. So what's interesting about ketones, ketone IQ is that it's a, it's a new nutritional primitive, meaning that it's like, it's not something you can just directly derive from the other primitives. 
it is a new primitive of its own. Like your body can turn fat into ketones, but there's an involved process in that. To have access to a ketone as a direct ingestible molecule, that is new and novel. And so, yeah, when we talk about a nutritional primitive, it's new building block. And, you know, from there, a lot, a lot can get developed. We have right now, our product is a pure play ketone IQ. So you can buy it as a single shot. That's what we have at retail is single shot next to the other you know, that wellness shot category that you see. And we have our big bottles and it's all just pure ketone IQ, but you can imagine, I mean, the vision here is that it's not just pure play ketone IQ, that there's a lot of different formats that this can and will go into that we are, we're building towards different types of beverages for different types of uses, solid foods, this, that, all sorts of things where like pure play ketone IQ is cool. And that has a lot of legs, but where this starts getting super interesting is as a primitive, that is a platform for other brands that will be launching a primitive that can be licensed out into other folks brands so that's that's where things get really interesting here so give me the fact pattern on the user side you know what are the benefits who's the right person to use this what's the right situation where have you seen in your own exploratory efforts the be- biggest impact on performance cognitive ability etc yeah what's interesting about ketones is that your brain in particular loves ketones our brains use a lot of energy just in general, they're like 5% of our body weight and 20 plus percent of our energy demand. Our brains are uniquely good at using ketones as well, and they cannot use fat. So that's part of why our bodies are pretty good at turning fat into ketones, although it's a slow process. So when there's ketones present in your bloodstream, they pop to the top of the stack. They will be the first thing that you metabolize if you have them present. And our brains in particular are very like greedy for ketones. So that's why a lot of people, when they drink ketone IQ, they immediately feel mental boost. So even with our athlete partners, it's very popular with Tour de France teams. Our 60% of the teams on the Tour de France use HVMN ketones. And we have a lot of presence in that endurance sport world, triathlon world. I'm, I'm in there in an amateur level. And even in that world, what people reflect on is that mentally they feel very clear that like, Hey, wow, mile 56 on my bike ride. I feel like sharper than I otherwise would. And that's why we decided to call it ketone IQ, not a giant mystery there, but really tap into the, the fact that you feel, you feel a little bit more sharp, a little bit more cognitive, cognitively clear when you're drinking ketones. So in that sense, like the, okay, the primary way area we're pushing this is, is into, into athlete fitness worlds. However, we're seeing a ton of just organic uptake where people are drinking it at their desk, when they're jamming through spreadsheets, running models, when they're writing memos, blog posts, when they're just doing kind of white collar work. We have a lot of bankers, lawyers, doctors that are that are liking it, really leaning on the IQ part. Maybe they're first discovering us because they heard it from a buddy on a bike ride on Saturday, and then they're like bringing it into the office. So it's interesting to see how from a brand building perspective, you know, we're starting with the center of the bullseye and like really focusing on the like performance and fitness sports use case, but like softening out the the expanding concentric circles from there. So let's go there. I mean, you talk about, you've got Andreessen Horowitz, Chris Dixon. I mean, you're really going for it. Big growth, big market capitalizations. How do you hack into that type of growth? How do you think about growing and getting that market share before anyone else can come and take it from you? I think sometimes the world isn't fair in the sense that 
it's not like every player at the table gets an equal piece of the pie. Sometimes there's a just dominant market leader or sometimes there's like a duopoly at the top, right? You can have like Google just far and away owns search, right? Amazon just far and away, largest piece of e-commerce. You have like duopoly where you have like Coke and Pepsi. Like Coke is a little bit bigger, but Pepsi is also pretty big. The market characteristic for, for a lot of markets is you have a leader. Being first to market is does not guarantee that you, you know, first does not mean best necessarily. It does not mean you always own the market, but it's certainly, I'd rather be first than not first. It certainly is like pole position to run the market. And, you know, oftentimes the, the, the folks that create the Nike created a market for running shoes and, you know, they, they started, they, they made running a, a massive sport when it was relatively niche. So Nike created this sport. They maintain that first mover advantage that they had people read shoe dogs, like, like Phil Knight was jamming hard in the seventies, eighties, like building, building this category of running shoes. And they've obviously expanded from there. So our story is just like, you know, back the winner, like we created the market. We are moving fastest in the market, put your chips behind the one that, that everyone else is putting their chips behind, like where it rains, it pours. Someone could try it. Hey, wow, I like this market, but I want to go invest in a competitor. It's like, well, they're going to have a lot of headwinds relative to like the easiest way. If you think that the space is interesting is like, like you look at any sector, you look at, you look at fabrics or you look at semiconductors, you look at crypto, like you, you're interested in a sector. Like you want to back the company that best is going to capture that sector. And oftentimes the company that's going to best capture the sector is the one that's already best capturing that sector. The one that's already best capitalized, the one that already has the the team and the infrastructure all around it. And then it's like momentum begets momentum. Like when you're the market leader, attract more talent, you attract more, more sales accounts, you attract more capital. And it is like my job as a CEO is to keep that momentum just, at, just rolling bullish. And I mean, that's the job. I don't know. It's that, that's the special sauce. It's like that's what, that's what you got to do as a leader. So let, let's talk about that. What is your leadership style? You're, Growing fast, you know, you're moving fast and breaking things, and you very much have that <laughs> valley mentality. I'm sure this is changing, but what has worked for you? What has not worked for you? How do you think about leadership within the company? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. You got this is a very interesting time, Brian. Where I it is changing because I've been very much like a, a player coach for the last several years, like kind of in there because we needed to solve some things. We needed to re- actually prove product market fit on the consumer market. Like it was kind of in there with our, with our team, with our head of product, our head of growth, our head of supply chain, just like in there, sleeves rolled up. My co-founder and I both just figuring out that that is part of a founder's job is make sure that the core thing actually works. You got to, you got to get zero to one before you can worry about one to 10. Now we've achieved that we were at one, like we have something that's clicking, it's resonating, sticky customer base, you know, we're not a billion dollar company yet, but like the core signals on it's like, okay, we have some customer base. People are liking it. Um, like the, the growth is paying for itself. Our lifetime value is greater than our acquisition cost, right? Like the core signals are there. So now I'm finding myself personally molding into, I don't, I'm not player coach anymore. I'm just, I'm just coach coach. I, I don't touch the ball anymore. We're my job. If there's, if I'm ever touching the ball, it's a problem now. It's like, okay, who can I hire? Who can run this? Either this is not an important touch and no one should do it or Delhi, I need to push that to someone already on the team or we need to expand the team and hire into it. So it's been an interesting personal growth because I, I think I'm, I'm becoming a, a different 
man through the process where I used to be, yeah, I, I think I've, I've good, good touch on, on product, on marketing communications, on this, that, but now it's like, it's my touch is finding the person with better touch than me and having that person apply all of the touch. And it's moved a lot from a lot more from a constant cadence to now I feel more like moving like a lion, as they say, like hunting like a lion, where it used to be I was just like always on, always doing stuff, always moving the ball forward. Now it's I try to have empty space and think and get vantage and talk to other founders, leaders, people like yourself, just understanding how the market is moving, understand the macro economy changed a lot this year. And I'm probably the my co-founder and I are probably the the main ones really thinking about what that means for everything in our business and our supply chain and our hiring plans and all that. And, and so I can only adapt to the macro if I'm not, you know, nitpicking email number three for our onboarding series, which I which I did do. And I do think that that is correct in your zero to one phase. You got to be hands-on as a founder to get escape velocity. But now it's more, just way more zoomed out in a sense, relaxed until it's go time until, okay, you're out in front of the this particular investor or this particular, there's a hire you got to go get. You're And you're on a, like, wheels up on the plane this afternoon, flying to New York to close this candidate. Like it's more periodic. I would say the leadership has changed from, from myself personally, from where it used to be more of a constant hum. So let's talk about kind of optimization and you, you refer to how your engagement with the company is reflecting in, in your health. You're an engineer. You talked about biohacking. I mean, what's your personal boot up sequence you know, how do you think about fitness, wellness, health, all of that? I'd be curious. I'm sure you've experimented on yourself over the years. Yeah, done a lot of different experiments. I, I, my my easy rule to follow, and I think it's easier to follow this every day versus having some kind of a, like more complicated algorithm here is just do something active every day for an hour, whatever that is. Even if you're having an off day, like, I don't know, go, I'll go for a walk around Silver Lake with my baby daughter. Like, even if, if, if I'm feeling low energy. It's like still get some sunshine, get some fresh air, put the screen down. There's always that incremental hour that you can borrow by not focusing on yourself and your fitness in a given day, but it very quickly stops working. Like you, you start borrowing that hour and then you just, for myself, you just start feeling cruddy. And it's like, I, I will always prioritize at least that hour of fitness. I like to go for a run. I like to run seven, eight miles in the morning. I don't know, hour, hour, 15 minutes, go in the hills by my house in LA. No phone, no music, no anything, just me and my feet on the ground. Or I have my, you know, I have a little gym set up in my garage. Just go, go pump some iron. Just get out of your own head. Let some of the frustrations or anxieties, like let, let everything breathe, gain some vantage on your own self, your own bullshit, your own where are you being whack? Are you, where can you be better? Where, where, what do you need to say to whom? What's well, not in alignment? Uh, so yeah, I always, I always secure that hour. I, you know, I think first thing in the day, you got to do the most important thing first thing in the day. So if we're, if we're serious about that, you know, fitness and health is a key building block of the overall being an overall successful person. Then yeah, it's like, I, I stack it first thing in the day. I wake up, I have my kind of half hour getting started routine. I don't look at any technology screens anything just drink some water think get dressed go for a run wrap that all up and then and then i'm in a good spot just he- like go headlong into into the day feeling good and then what about diet food intake given everything you know about 
ketosis? I mean, are you paleo? Do you practice intermittent fasting? What have you found to be the sweet spot for you? Yeah, I do. I do a modified low carb diet where I generally don't touch. I don't, I don't generally touch sugar very much. And I generally don't touch carbohydrates until later in the day. I find that they really knock me off my game. Like if I have a pastry for breakfast, it's like, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a normal human too. Like I like the taste, but I just find that it makes me kind of itchy and, or like anxious in the, in the mind. Like I, I like the even flow of, I'd rather just have eggs or avocado or something just like like provides energy. I like, you know, protein. I like a you know protein shake after working out small amount of carbs here and there, but I, I'm just very sensitive to that like spike and that crash that you feel if you go and have, I don't know, someone's off birthday in the office, you have birthday cake. It's like, you always feel kind of off an hour later. And I think, I think sugar is a more serious issue than we're giving it credit. I think it's I think it's not totally insane to say it's, it's like the cigarettes. Like if we're, it's not, it's not great to go have 40 grams of sugar all at once. So I don't, I generally do a modified low carb diet. If I do have carbs, it's like later in the day. Cause it, I don't know, dinner, have some pizza, fall, go to sleep afterwards. Doesn't really matter. And not, you know, not, a, not, not bad to replete your carbohydrate glycogen stores a little bit anyway. But I, I avoid that stuff during the day when the, objective function I'm trying to optimize for is flow and productivity. And then if I'm, if I'm having carbs will be later in the day. As you referenced going to sleep, what does the wind down routine look like for you? Yeah, it's, I think it's super important to put the phone away an hour before bedtime, read a book. I I'm old school in my reading. Like I, I still have paper books. Like my, my, my wife actually just got a Kindle. I do too. I, I prefer paper too. I just, right. Like, what do, what do you like about it? It's like, it's kind of like you're staring at a screen all day. It's like tangible, just the paper itself. And yeah, I read before I go to bed and you're on screens all day. And I just feel like that that's signaling to my body. Okay. It's time. Like my mind, it, that was the time, you know, to start winding it, shutting it down for the day. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's good to just depart from that highly, highly online world that we occupy, which I love. And I'm not like, I'm, you know, I think the internet's great. I think it's great that we're all staring into this glowing rectangle where you can access the entire corpus of human knowledge. Like I'm not like a anti-tech person, but if we're talking like, you got to sleep, you got to get your eight hours in, you got to put the technology away and then you know, live to fight another day tomorrow. Like turn, turn it on tomorrow and you'll be fresh if you have a good wind down. So you, you mentioned your leadership style you're on the West Coast. There's a lot of conversation now about quiet quitting, you know, managing millennials and Gen Zs, and frankly, baby boomers in a lot of companies across generations. What is your philosophy of work these days, and how has it changed maybe since you've grown in this leadership position? I always say that I like hiring selfish people, where what I'm looking for in hiring a candidate is crystal clarity on what they want. What, why do you want this job? How much money do you want to make now? How much money do you want to make in a year, two years, three years? What do you want to do after this? Are you trying to start your own thing? Do you want to hop to a fortune 50 company? Like, what do you want to, what do you want out of this? I like hearing that because I like the honesty. I, I, I think we should always be honest with each other. And if someone doesn't have clarity on it, then I start to have doubts about their ambition. What is helpful to me to hear is that they're 
their goals align with the company goals where, hey, you want to make more money? 100% you can make more money because if you jump in the pocket here and you achieve X, Y, and Z, and that's delivering business value, I'm an idiot if we don't give you more money for that. So like you want to start your own startup? Awesome. We're going to get you like hop in the pocket here. Let's loop you in with the different with different capital partners, different fundraising conversations we're having. Let's get you the full fire hose, everything going on there. See how I'm making decisions, see how other execs are making decisions and get you connected, get you familiar so that when you're when you're ready to bounce in X number of years, cool. Like let me be the first seed check into your into your new venture. Let me line up a bunch of intros for you and you're going to be like awesome to go. So I I like I like selfish people in that way where I think the best people always have a slope. And if you find people without a slope, like I don't think I don't like I don't want to work with someone who doesn't have a slope who's just kind of humming along. I want to work with someone with a slope. Deal with the devil that you do when you hire people with a slope is that they're going to grow out of the role. They might grow out of the company. They're definitely going to grow out of the role and and that's just something to know and acknowledge. Like an example, so we just we hired a chief of staff eight, nine months ago at this point, she's she's great. And there's no way she's going to be chief of staff forever. She's too ambitious. And but she's she's great at chief of staff right now for X number of months, years, while she is she's, she's at a spot where she's just like learning, growing. And at a certain point, she's gonna be ready for that next step. And it's something we talk actively about. And then we're gonna have to go hire the next chief of staff. Maybe and like she I want her to like help hire the chief of staff that's coming behind her and let's figure out what then she goes and does next, as opposed to other candidates that I talked to for that role where it's like, they, I got the feeling they'd be okay being chief of staff for the next decade. And I don't know, that was a, that was less interesting to me because, because it doesn't show like that extra level of ambition where our current chief of staff, she wants to be in, like everything's a learning opportunity. Everything's a chance to stair step up. And then yes, of course, once you step up enough stairs, you're going to outgrow the role and we're going to have a conversation so yeah, I think it's just to sum it all up that with the phrasing I like on it is like I like selfish people and I like to see how that those goals align with what what the company goals are. Mike, I want I want to thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. And I encourage people to uh, check out the, the brand and try it yourself. I, I did. You sent me a sample and it was it did work. I need to get some more. This is a question I ask everybody on the show, but I think you already jumped it, but we'll we'll kind of reiterate to see if you get something different. But considering everything you have going on, you have a family, you have your health. Fast growing company, you go in light speed. What's a daily practice that brings you peace? For me, it's running. I had to pick one thing. I like other sports. I like hitting the weights. I like yoga now and then. I like a lot of things, but for me, I always come back to running. There's something about it. Like you don't have to pay an entry fee. You don't have to take the app on your phone and scan the thingy at the front desk at the gym and wonder if the equipment is clean. I don't know. There's something about it. It's just like lace up your shoes and just go. And there's nothing but you and your own bullshit in the trail in front of you. And there's something like ancestral and Lindy and beautiful about get some sunshine to me, whenever anything, whenever things are getting just like messy or crazy in life, I always know the answer is lace up, go for a run. That's my happy spot. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It was really cool. And I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Um, for our listeners, please leave us a review. Let us know your favorite part of today's episode. And Michael, if their listeners are interested in connecting with you, engaging with you, learning more about the brand, the products, the offerings you all have, what's the best way for them to learn more? Yeah. Thanks so much, Brian. This is a great episode. Definitely uncovered a lot of interesting talking points and, and topics here that I don't think I've really shared that publicly before. And you know, I've I've learned a lot from mentors and just battle scars along the way and just 
happy, thank you for the context to open up a little bit, share it forward. Love hearing back from other people. I'm, you can find me. I'm active on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. My handle is at BDM underscore runner. Our company is Health Via Modern Nutrition. You can find us at HVMN on all the social platforms and then HVMN.com. You can, you can check out what we're all about. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Brian. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon.